So um, one of uh, our favorite people of, the, of my family growing up was a, a woman named Lori Kopetsky, who then became Lori Sukawadi. Just two great names, but um, and and Lori was um, was just kind of like one of the the members of our family. She was always around, and when I was and she had been for years and years and years, and so much so that she remembers when I was born and um, when I became old enough to be potty trained. She noticed that my mom, for whatever reason, wasn't potty training me, and she's like, "Do you want me to potty train Josh?" And so like that was like w I swear, it was like her claim to fame when I was with her. Which, when I was like 13 years old, <laughs> was just not cool. Like, I just, you know, like, I potty trained. And she'd pinch cheek, you know, like, remember when I potty trained? No, I don't remember when you potty trained. You know, like, I'd be embarrassed and, like, try to slip away. Now it's endearing, but it wasn't when I was, like, 15, you know. Like, it was just not a good thing. Because I, I didn't like these stories because, you know, like, like, they portrayed me as like weak and helpless and, and it embarrassed me and all of that kind of stuff. Which makes Christmas a really interesting thing. I'm going to dive right into this. It makes Christmas, the, the, the idea that, that we celebrate this time of year, God coming to earth as a baby is a really interesting thing. It's a really interesting thing that, that the beginning of the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, two, so, so you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The four gospels that, that tell about Jesus' life, that are the eyewitness accounts of, of, of the people who hung out with Jesus, walked with Jesus, they wrote about Jesus. And two of the four of them start with Jesus as a baby. Which honestly, like we, we don't, we're so used to, especially if you grew up in church, you're so used to the idea of like, yeah, you know, it's, it's Christmas time. Let's think about the manger. Let's think about the nativity scene. Let's think about all of these things. But the absurdity of this, that, that, that Jesus' story starts there in the ancient, like it's, it's hard for us to see how absurd that would have been in the ancient world. I mean, for instance, in ancient lit literature, if if there was a hero being recorded like, like Alexander the Great or, or, you know, like a king or, or a ruler or an empire, you know, an emperor, and there was anything about their childhood, it was usually some sort of extraordinary event where that person, that man, it was always a man, that man w as a boy was able to conquer, you know, a legion of, of soldiers or defeat some lion or, you know, like, like usually if you depicted... Your, your young hero, it was in some sort of mighty way. Enter Jesus in a manger wrapped in rags. It's remarkable, really. And, and it's hard for us to see because we, we were so familiar with it, especially if you grew up in church. But the power of the fact that he was born this way that they like it, it's it's interesting if you want to show your hero as great you never show them as weak and here we find jesus in the manger as a helpless babe wrapped in rags why in the world would the disciples why in the world would the gospel writers start there why in the world would they start 
there. So there's, there's so much humility around Jesus' birth, the, the, the arrival of Jesus into the world. I mean, even down to the fact that, that he didn't have a dad. <laughs> it, like, like, every culture has a name for this. The name in, in Jesus' culture was Mamzer, as a son or a child that doesn't have a father. This is what Jesus was born into. And not only, like, what was it, the story behind him a little bit shady, where he was born was even, the, the, the town of Nazareth, or, you know, the, the family, he, you, people picked on him, you see him, people picking on him just because of where he was from. He's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Even down to, like, like there's so much humility surrounding his birth. Even down to the fact, we don't know exactly when he was born. <laughs> like, like, not only do we not have a date, like, just so you know, December 25th is not his actual birthday. We don't even have a year. We have a window. <laughs> 6 B.C. to 4 B.C. is when we think that Jesus was born, based on the, the, the footnotes about Augustus Caesar and some Tiberius and some of the other rulers that surround, like, we, we think that he was born here. But you know what's interesting is that's, that's not necessarily the case with great men in, in history. Alexander the Great, I can tell you, for instance, was born July 20th, 356 B.C. We know when he died. Julius Caesar was born July 13th, 100 A.D. My birthday is also in July. You, you know, I'm just putting that out there. Um, see, we know the exact dates of these men, these great men of history. But when it comes to Jesus, we, 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 know, a lot of, we know a lot about his birth, the, the events surrounding his birth. We just don't know when it was. Isn't that interesting? In fact, we, we think that maybe he was probably born in the summertime, not in December, because there was a census going on, and you wouldn't do a census in the winter when people can't travel as easy. And here we are. See, th and if this, the, 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 the humility of his birth wasn't enough, the horribleness of the first two years after his birth were another thing. We'll get to that here in a second, but being chased around by a lunatic, a sadistic ruler that was trying to kill him out of jealousy. I just want to time out here for a second. Just time out. Put everything aside that you know about Christmas. Let's just put Christmas aside for a second here. If you were God of the universe and you decided, I'm going to make my debut, how would you do it? I, I'm being dead serious here. I, I want you to actually think about this. You're the God of the universe. You see all that? You created it. As far as the, everything that there is, is because of you. And there's this little tiny planet in the little backwaters of this little, you know, galaxy. And you created these, these, these beings in your likeness. And they're not being nice to each other. They're not, you know, like, like they're, they're kind of destroying the place. Your kid ever, you know, wreck, its room, wreck his room or wreck her room? Like, hey, clean it. You know, like, like, how do you make your entrance? But you're also, like, 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 you're also the God of the universe, and you care for people. And you want them to know of your goodness and your love. And you, but you also want them to know your greatness and your power. I'm serious. Forget about Christmas. How would you enter the world? 
I've got ideas. I, I, I have ideas of what great things I would do what, you know, that, that would surround my, my coming. Where and what location, you know, who would be there? What, what press, you know, like, like who would cover the event? NBC, CNN, Fox News, okay, maybe not Fox News. You know, like, like who would be covering, who would be there? Who would you strategically make sure was there to get the word out? What would your first words be? <laughs> what would be the first thing you would do? What would you be wearing? If you were God of the universe, and you wanted to make yourself known for the first time. According to Matthew and Luke, the God of the universe, when he came to us, was surrounded by livestock in a backwater town in the armpit of the Roman Empire. Shepherds were the people who were the first ones there. And shepherds, in this context, were one level above a sheep. <laughs> they were the first people to see him. The first words out of his mouth were goo goo gaga. <laughs> his first action when he came was to eat, sleep, or whatever the third thing that little babies do like that and, and that's what he would do for the first two years of his life that's how he made himself known and, and again about the first two years of life while we're on the subject I want to talk about this this is so important there because there was there is one powerful person in the birth narrative of Jesus and when Jesus came on the scene there was one po powerful person and to understand, to fully understand and appreciate the uniqueness and even the absurdity of how he came, of the birth narratives, it's helpful, helpful for us to understand who Alex, or Alexander, who Herod the Great was. Herod the Great would have been seen as the, the essence of power, the essence of greatness in that day. He was a, a tyrannical lunatic. It, it's, the, the stories about him were crazy as I was studying for this. He was the most jealous, paranoid, and ruthless ruler. Paranoid and ruthless, not a great combo, especially for these people whom he had executed. This is his list. His mother-in-law, two of his brother-in-laws, two of his sons, and even his favorite wife he had executed. In, in, while, while he was in, in, in power. His longtime barber tried to talk him out of executing his two sons, and he had the barber killed. <laughs> five days before his death, five days before he would die, which is actually probably only a couple years after Jesus was born, five days after his death, five days before his death, he, uh, he heard his, that his, another one of his sons was trying to grab power too early, and he had him killed. <laughs> but it, when he died, the day he died, he ordered, he, he made a decree to kill a lot of the prominent Israelites in the area so that people would mourn his death. That's Herod. And he had this moniker, Herod the Great. 
And whether he gave himself that moniker or not, or it was ascribed to him, we don't know. And it almost doesn't matter. Because when people thought of what greatness was during, even if they didn't like him, if they thought about greatness in the kingdom of God, or in, in the king, you know, like greatness in the world at that point in time, they would think of men like Herod the Great. He got the job because he was such a tyrant. Because Rome gave him the job because he was so good. Like, like literally, at the time, he was the quintessential ruler. He, he, was, he was, oh, here's another bit of history about Herod that's interesting. Herod was actually contemporaries with, with Mark Antony, Julius Caesar, you know, like all, all of those guys. And I can't remember who he, he sided with one of the guys, Mark Antony or, um, not even going to try, Octavian or something like that. Like, there's two guys that were a power, power struggle in the, the, for, for the Caesar, for the Roman Empire. And, and Herod chose one of them, and he chose wrong. That guy ended up losing and dying. And he was able to talk himself into a position to have <laughs> this area of, of Jerusalem and Israel to be his. Like, they, they still kept him because he was so darn effective at keeping the peace. That's a picture of what greatness looked like in the first century. Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. And, it, it, and another, another group of people that would come to visit Jesus were the, the three wise men or the three magi or the three kings, you know, th these guys that were following the star. They saw th these three foreign astrologers that looked into the sky and saw something crazy going on. They're like, God has to be behind this. And so they followed it, and they took him to Bethlehem. You remember that part of the story if you grew up in church? On their way, they, they stopped and, at Herod's place, and they said, hey, we're looking for the, the, the king of the Jews. That was one of Herod's monikers. Herod became known as the king of the Jews, not because he was Jewish, but because he ruled the Jewish, he ruled that area so well, and he did it for decades. And so he, here's this sadistic, paranoid lunatic, and they're like, we're looking for the king of the Jews. He's like, yes? Oh, no, 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 not you. There's, there's someone being born. Oh, tell me more about that, please, so I can investigate. So soon as Jesus is born, he's wrapped in rags. He's put in a manger. And within probably days, they're like, you got to get out of here. They find out, they, 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 and they leave the country, they flee the country, and go to Egypt. And that's how the God of the universe decided to make his entrance. Why? Why? Why would his disciples, why, why, like, like, why would the disciples, even if that was the true part of the story, why would you include that as part of the story? And I think the answer is simple. Is because every, everything, every detail about that story helps us to realize that Jesus came to redefine greatness. That, that Jesus came to do a lot of things, but I think it's, it's very, very, like, like one of the major things that Jesus came to do was he came to redefine what it meant to be great. And it started the day he was born. And they would wrap him in rags and put him 
in a manger. The manger is a statement. Uh, the manger is a statement as to the style of God, how God goes about doing things, and how it's different than what we in the world do. It's a statement that God thinks differently than you and I think. I wanted, uh, honestly, like, I don't title every sermon, but if I, if I put a title to this sermon, I, I call it The Great Reversal. And I, I put great in, in, in quotes, like the great reversal, the reversal of greatness. That's what Jesus came to do. He, he, he came to, to change in the ancient world, to redefine what it meant to be great. And as much as he was doing that back then, I, I think he's doing the same today for you and for me. I could take us to a, a number of, of different passages in the New Testament that talk, that, that where, where Jesus kind of flipped things on its head and, and, and reversed what it meant to be great. But there's just one in particular, there's one that just, he just spells it all out. And it's kind of an odd, it's kind of a funny passage, you'll see here in a second. But he's with, Jesus is with his 12 disciples. He, he chose 12 guys to follow him early on in his ministry. And there's a couple themes that go through that, throughout with, with Jesus and his disciples. There's one theme, though. His disciples really, really are very concerned with who's number one. Or, who's, sorry, who's number two behind Jesus. They're really concerned about, like, like, like okay, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm better than that guy, right? Like, they're, you're constantly squabbling with each other about this. They have the trying to determine a pecking order. And Jesus is constantly, like, like, like yelling at them for it. And we find that here in our passage today in Matthew 20. Matthew 20, there, there's, there's two of his disciples. Two of his disciples in Matthew 20, they, they bring in the big guns. Watch this. Matthew 20, verse 20. And we'll have, we'll have the, verses, the important verses up on the screen here in a second. They bring in the big guns. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. So it's not like they're not around. They're there. They're like, hey, mom, we got a great idea. Would you go ask Jesus? You know, like the, like the sons came to, uh, the mother of the Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked him a favor. The classic move, right? Like, hey, will you do me a favor? Which is what you do. You ask that question. You don't say, hey, Will you give me $10? You say, would you do me a favor? And then they say yes, and then they have to give you $10. Like, right? That's, you know, hey, Jesus, would you do me a favor? Jesus sees right through it. What is it that you want, he asked. She said, grant one of these two sons of mine that they may sit at your right hand and the other on the left, at the left, in your kingdom. So, like, a huge part of, of Jesus' message was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And that just kind of itched the ears of every Jewish listener. Because they're like, hey, we are here. We're the armpit of the, of, the, of the Roman Empire. We're sick of being under their thumb. So, yeah, like, establish the kingdom of God so that we can kick their butts. And then we can do what we want. And then we don't have to pay taxes. And then, and then you know, like, they have all these reasons. So... Every time Jesus came or, and talked about the kingdom of God, people were like, yeah, I like that message right there. Except then he'd say weird things like the kingdom of God belongs to the meek and to the poor. 
to the, the, those who are cast out, and they're like, well, we're not sure what to do with this, but we like kingdom of God, so keep talking, you know, and, and that's like kind of like Jesus, so, so, you know, Jesus, speaking of the kingdom of God, um, do me, would you do me a favor? Well, what is it? When your kingdom comes, can one of my sons sit on your right and the other son sit on your left? And it's this throne room idea, like, you know, like there's this, this big throne, and then on the right-hand side is, is the most, you know, like those, obviously the people next to the guy in the throne are pretty important people, right? I just want my sons to be one of those. And the sons are right there, you know, like, they're like, yeah, Pete, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Him? You're in the middle, you're the tall one. I'm the next tallest one, okay? And then my bozo brother, he can, yeah, I don't care, left, right, I don't care. What do you say? Are you in? <laughs> this is like, where did you know, like, like so, let's keep going. <laughs> Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. He said to them. And then he says this. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And the cup that he's going to drink is talking about, is a, is a literal they don't know this at the time because the, that, that imagery doesn't make sense to them. But eventually, he would, he would hand them the cup of the new covenant the night before he dies. If you've ever taken communion, that's the cup he's talking about. Can you guys drink that cup, the cup that goes and faces the Roman Empire and dies on a cross? Can you do that? <laughs> sure, we can, they answered. Why, yeah, why not? Yeah, I can drink. Like, whatever you're drinking, I'm drinking. Okay. Um, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. It's, it's, it's not that simple, guys. And at the disciples, the interaction between Jesus and the disciples is great because Jesus is so gracious, and yet there's times where he's, like, barking at him and stuff like that. And there, but there's a lot of times where he says something, and they're, they're just like, uh-huh. And it's just literally just, like, bouncing. This is one of them. You will indeed drink. I'll read it again. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit on my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So that's a yes, right, Jesus? Right? Like, so, so yeah, huh? Right? Like, literally, that's, that's what's going on. And, and you can't blame them. You can't fault them because they didn't know what the cup was. They didn't know what the kingdom of heaven was going to be like. This next part is so awesome. When the ten heard about this, meaning the other ten disciples heard about this, they were indignant, meaning, crap, why didn't I think of that? Where, oh, I should have gotten my mom, and then we could have done, you know, like... That when the, the, the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And they started, like, and I think it's Mark's gospel, so they started squabbling among each other. No, I'm greater. No, I'm greater. And Jesus like, sit down. Sit down. Jesus calls them again. He said this. Listen, listen, listen. And this is, this is where it gets good. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, you know the Gentiles, you know, you know Herod the Great, you, you know Nero, you know the Caesars. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, you guys are very familiar with, you know how they rule? They lord it over them. Those in authority who have authority lord it over those who are not in authority. They just, they just do what they want because they have the authority. And in that time, might made right. That's why Herod was 
the great. He had the might, and he, he made what was right. And it worked for the Roman Empire, so they just kept giving him might. He's like, you know, you know that scenario. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. They just do whatever they want because they're in control. And then Jesus says, but not so with you. Because I was born in a manger. I, I, I was born, and it was, I, I came to change and redefine what it means to be great. I came to redefine greatness. And so as my followers, not so with you. And then Jesus says, we've got these words on the board, not so with you. And in his verses, he starts to tip his hand. Here, everybody look at here for a second. He starts to tip his, tip his hand. And honestly, like in these verses, these are so powerful. I've had a, a, a wonderful time like meditating on these this week because they're so challenging. But, but he, basically, in these verses, is he starts to tell them what he dreams about. When he thinks about greatness, we're about to find out what he, how, what, 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 how greatness plays out for Jesus. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, well, that person must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, you, you, know, I, I, you know why I came? I came for great things. And, and, and great things in my, in my worldview, Jesus would say, is I get a chance to serve people. Greatness for Jesus meant that every person that he would come eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball with, he would get a chance to serve them. I'm sorry, that's just not how I look at greatness. This is so challenging to me. But Jesus defines it again. Let me read it again. Not so with you. Guys, it's going to be different with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. You want to be great? Serve as many people as you can. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, listen, listen, even the Son of Man, the God of the universe, the God in, in, in human body, in flesh, didn't come so that the, the, that the things that he created could serve him. But he came to serve his creation. And we see that with every single ounce of who Jesus was in the Gospels. If, if, right? If you've ever read the Gospels, he, that's all he does. Every single person, he walks into the room, and every single room, he is the most important person. And he glances around the room, and he finds usually the least important person. He says, now I'm going to make you great. That's what he came to do. It was, this wasn't just like some line that he said that just kind of quippy. You could tweet it. This was real life. This was, this was truly greatness to him. When he dreamed about what he would do in the world, he dreamed about having enough courage to walk boldly into Jerusalem for and face people who wanted to kill him and face death on the cross, die naked, 
and alone and despised with all the weight of sin, like the shame of this world was on him. And they put him in a tomb and everybody left. That was his dream. That was greatness. That was the plan. That, that, guys, that was the plan. That's what was the plan from, from and, and that's, that's why the main, that's why, of course, when the God of the universe comes, he comes and he's wrapped in rags. It's just a prelude to the life that he would live, serving people, serving you and me, and then he says, go and do likewise. If you want to be great, be a slave. If you want greatness, your greatness, in my style of greatness, is the long, you have a long list of people that you serve, not a long list of people who serve you. I was thinking about it this week. I was like, man, that's just not my list. My list of what, like, as I think about my future, you know, in my, in my 30s, I'm thinking about, like, you know, I, I'm thinking about what I want out of this life, what, what great would mean, like, that would be great. And I came up with this list, and, and I'm, I'm just going to share it with you. I'm just going to be honest, because honestly, like, and, and here's, the, here's the deal. Um, you're going to think less of me after I share this with you. And that's okay, because honesty is a good thing. Um, greatness for me in the future is financial freedom. I, I don't need to work, and I don't need anybody to pay me to live. Um, it, it involves owning a bunch of stuff, owning a bunch of cool like places and houses and stuff like that. Greatness for me uh, is influence. I, I want people to, to come to me and, and, and know, I want people to know me and know who I am and, and listen to me and listen to what I have to say. And, and, and you know, maybe that even translates into the CLC, people know this organization and that they come to us with it with influence with them, that would be great. That's, that's what I think, when I think of greatness, I think of that. Um, greatness includes some travel, doesn't it? Somewhere old, somewhere new, somewhere beautiful, somewhere blue. Once a year. Every year I want to go somewhere old, somewhere new, someplace beautiful. And, and every year I'd love to go to a blue ocean. Especially like right now. It'd be good. Um, greatness for me involves outdoor adventures. Lots of them. Lots of opportunities to hunt and to ski and to climb mountains and to fish and to kind of like keep these stories going that I started when I was in my 20s when I moved out here and I'm like this is great like just keep that exploration up like that that would be great that's greatness greatness for me I, I've realized this about myself is like oh okay there's a wow factor to my life that like like that there's aspects or things that I'm evolved in or things that I'm able to do that people are like wow that's cool I, I you know I, I would come and do that with you or wow like like you got you get to do that that's important to me. That when I think of what's great and greatness, that's up there on the list. Uh, for another, um, another part of greatness for me is like like forge, like this idea of forging or pioneering something, being on the front lines of something new, something innovative, doing church in a different way. Like 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 these are the things that I kind of find myself daydreaming about. Like what if we could do this and what if we could do that and. And what if people are like, oh, that's cool, you know? There's some recognition there. I think greatness for me involves health, looking good, looking maybe younger than I actually am, being fit, 
you know, being able to, to, to go hard in the backcountry in my 60s, ski, ski into my 70s, and then when I get to my 80s, maybe just die in my sleep <laughs> one night, you know, and just after I've told all to my loved ones, I love them, I just die peacefully. That'd be great. This, I don't know what you think about when you think about greatness in the future, but these are the things that I think about, and I, I, I'm thinking about, I was, it, it's an interesting exercise. In fact, I'm going to have you do it. That's your application for the sermon is to write down your great list. But as I did it, I started to think, and you know, I, was, I was trying to be as honest as I could. And as I thought about it, I was like, okay, but Josh, if you got everything you wanted out of this list, who else would think it's great? You know, like if you got all of these things influence and you got to travel, you got to keep doing these things in the outdoors that you love and you had the health to do it, who else benefits from that greatness? Okay, besides my mom. You know, like, oh, this is, it's great. You get to do all these, you know, like, like moms don't count. What else, you know, if I get everything else, who else uh, would, would things be great for? Who else would think it was great? And then I go back to Jesus. And if Jesus, what Jesus would say, man, if this goes well, man, it, you know what would be great? Is if I get a chance to serve every single person that I come into contact with. That's the kind of kingdom he wanted to build. That's the kind of kingdom that he invited his disciples into. Not so with you. You guys in? And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, we're in. And they had no clue what they were agreeing to. They had no clue what it would cost them. But in time, they, they had no clue of what, it, what it would ask them to give to others, but it, there would come time where they actually would give it. And one of the, the most interesting things about the Christian history, in Christian history, is, is, is the recorded deaths of the apostles. All of them but one, we think, were executed. And even the one that wasn't executed is John was like tarred and feathered and like thrown off a tower and like miraculously survived. And he's like, God, can't I just die? You know, like I'm getting old. I'm getting too old for this. But they did it because their, their, their rabbi, their Lord was born in a manger. He was wrapped in rags. And he spent every waking moment of his life serving others. And they would just continue to serve. And they found that, that his idea, that Jesus' idea of greatness was far superior to their own. And little did they know, I mean, honestly, how could they know? Like, and this, this, is, this is the, this to me is like the cool part of the sermon. Like, little did they know that, that in the decades to come, what would start with just a handful of them would start growing exponentially. Just simply as they, they loved it, they, they didn't have clout. They didn't have position. They had a message of, of a guy who was born in Nazareth who said he was the son of God, but he died. <laughs> Not just died. He died on a billboard, on a cross, a Roman cross. Then they said, that guy's Lord. We saw him raise again. 
And these are the things that he taught, and you can be saved too. You can, you can be a part of this movement as well. And, and for, it, it just started to grow. And honestly, historians, sociologists, like, like it, it doesn't make sense. Christianity grew 40% every decade between when Jesus, when Jesus had lived all the way through three or 400 AD. Explosive growth. Explosive. Little did they know that, 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 that Christianity, and, and seriously, like, like their idea of the Roman Empire, like even early on, they're like, Rome does not like us. And it's in a couple hundred years, it would get really bad. But Christianity would just continue to grow. Little did they know that so many people would become Christians because they, of the way that, that Jesus lifted up women, the way that Jesus lifted up children, the way that Jesus lifted up the slaved and the impoverished. He, the, the, the Christians just went and did that. And, and so Christianity started to grow like wildfire. And, people, and, and the Roman Empire is like, enough with this. And they try to kill him. They try to kill him. They became fodder for the Colosseum. Like, like, like if you've ever been to Rome, you've ever been to the Colosseum, there's a lot of Christian blood that's been spilled in that dirt as they were fodder for gladiators and food for lions. Until one day where there was a tipping point, where there was more Christians in the Roman Empire than there were non-Christians. And so Constantine, and it's debatable as to how authentic this conversion was, but Constantine, the emperor of Rome, became Christian. Not only, before that, Christianity was illegal. And overnight, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And it would, it would outlast Rome. And it outlasts the next one. And it outlasts the next one. And it just keep going. And, and here we are. We're sitting, you guys, you and, and see, this is our story. We're sitting here today. If you call yourself a Christian, it's, it's, if, if you would say, I, I'm a Christian, it's because for generation after generation after generation, people shared this message of who Jesus was, born in a manger. It's a different kind of greatness. And they invited them into it. And here we are. And, and this morning, like, 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 like Sunday morning is a big deal. There, there are literally billions of people that we join with today around the globe celebrating who Jesus was, talking possibly about a manger. They, how, how, they would have never seen that camp coming. They, they would never have, have thought that they would outgrow the, the, the Roman Empire, last beyond the Roman Empire. See, it, it, the point is, if there was ever greatness, it's him. They, 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 would ne- they had no idea. They could, how could they know that, that Jesus would become the most familiar, most controversial, most beloved, most prolific character of all times? And see, the impact of his life are so profound and, but, and inescapable. And, but here's the thing. You and I are in danger of missing it every day because it's the, it's the water we swim in. Literally, it's so tacit to us. It's, it's, just, like, like, it's just part of, like, Jesus has impacted our lives in so many ways that it's, it's easy to take for granted. For instance, I'll prove it to you. This week, you went to, you, you may have no, noticed it or not, but you went to retail stores. Any retail store you went to sang songs of his praise in the background over the little loudspeaker. If you drove I-70 down the hill to Denver this week, you drove by this huge thing called Mother Cabrini. You probably don't even see it anymore. It's owned by the Catholic Church. They actually own both sides of I-70, that undeveloped land between Morrison, the Hogback, and, and Genesee. It, it, you, you, you 
Um, I, oh, there was another one I wrote down. What was it? It's not a good sermon unless I lose my place one, one time, right? Um, yeah, it, um, oh, if you went to King Supers, you probably saw someone ringing a bell or heard that little ding, 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 ding. And that's a person volunteering for the Salvation Army. And I just learned this this week. Did you know that 90% of that money goes straight back into the community? 10% of it goes globally. It goes straight back to people in, in, who are poor among us. That was started in 1865 in, in England by a man named William Booth. Who was, who was, you know, he, he saw the poor around him. He's like, I got to do something. And he started ringing bells and gathering money and giving it to the poor. William Booth was a contemporary of one of my favorite characters of all time, William Wilberforce, who is, uh, he's, he should, he's like a CLC hero through and through because it, what our, our cause is fighting modern slavery. He was, he was the original abolitionist in England. He spent his whole life fighting to make slavery illegal. And, and he died in... Um, Oh, I got a quote from him. He said, God Almighty has set before me two great objections. The suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. Reformation of manners. He's like, I want to reform our culture, the manners of our culture, the way we treat people. And he wants to do away with slavery. He dedicated his life to it, and he would die July 29th. Another July birthday. That's cool. 1833. That's not a birthday. That's a death. Never mind. Scratch that one. (laughs) A couple days after it was announced in Parliament that slavery had been abolished. I can talk about John Newton, who was a friend of his, who you would know his tune, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. John Newton was, was a slave trader himself. He owned ships. He sailed ships with slaves in, in them. And he's the man that penned Amazing Grace expressing to us that, that, that God's grace is not just for the victim, not, but, but for the perpetrator as well. You, you can't look at a map without escaping and being reminded of Jesus. For instance, if I look at a map at Colorado, one of the first things that I usually see is the Sangre de Cristos, which is my favorite mountain range in Colorado. Translated in Spanish for the blood of Christ. The, the mountains run into and become the Sierra de Madres, which is like the large, I think the largest mountain chain in Central America goes all the way down Central America. It's called Sierra Madres. Spanish is, 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 uh, is the, uh, Spanish for the word mother because of the mother of Jesus, Mary. <laughs> you, you can't look at a map without seeing, you know, like, like you can't go look outside right there. I'm looking at it right now. That's Santa Fe Mountain right there. The backside of, of Floyd Hill, if you're familiar with that area, is, is Santa Fe Mountain, which means holy faith. Santa Fe is also the capital of what? New Mexico. The, another capital in the, in the United States, uh, the capital of California is Sacramento. Sacramento is, 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 means sacrament which is after the Christian, what we do when we take communion together. Sacramento's near San Francisco, (laughs) who's a saint, Francisco, (laughs) in Los Angeles. And I could go on and on. You can't escape this guy. You you look at a map, you can't point to it without seeing him. 
I was, for myself, I was born in 1981 A.D., 1,981 years after the life of Christ, after death, or on a dominus, on a or something like that in Latin, which means the day of our Lord. We can't look at time. It's been separated by him. My name is Joshua, which is a, which is a Hebrew name. Uh, it comes from the Old Testament, and my parent it's my my parents didn't name me Joshua because they're Jewish. They named me Joshua because I'm Christian. And actually, you might not know this, but Jesus Jesus is his Greek name. His Hebrew name is Yeshua. Joshua. It means Jehovah saves. I, 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 can't es- I can't escape him. I made a connection this week with, with uh, a woman named Kathleen, Kathleen O'Leary, which will be a fun connection. I need, I need to tell the scatter team about this because she works with Habitat for Humanity, which was started by, who was Habitat? Carter? Yeah, yeah, but way before, it, but that Christian roots there. You can't escape the, the impacts. Think of the three closest hospitals to us right now. Lutheran Hospital, St. Anthony's Hospital, Littleton Adventist Hospital, Lutheran, St. Anthony's, Adventists. Those are followers of Christ. Now, not every hospital was started by Christians, but most of them were. Because however long ago, Christians looked around in the world that, that was dying, people that were suffering, and they thought of the words, of, they thought of the words of their Savior who said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And they, they brought dignity to him. That Nathan's going to talk about that next week in this, as this series continues. We can't escape him. He's, he's, he's everywhere. But see, but see, like, don't, don't miss this. This huge impact that the shaped cultures, that shaped millennia, it started in a manger. It started so small. And in doing so, it challenges what we think of what it means to be great. It means we can't be afraid of small. We can't be afraid of serving. Keep in mind mind the great things that Jesus didn't do. He never wrote a book, never led an army. He never left his country except for that one time where he was chased out of it by Herod. He never had kids. He never had a. He never forced a city to be named after him, which was a popular thing to do at the time. And yet here we are. It was all over the map. Isn't that cool? Isn't that incredible to think about? And he did all of that by simply serving people. He did all of that. By simply elevating the people around him every chance he get for a short three years. And we can't stop talking about it. So I ask you this. What's greatness look like to you? Your homework today. I, I want you to literally do this. this is a, it's a really good exercise. Think about, go home and write down, this would be great. Honestly, you just simply, like, like all you do is if, to find out what you think greatness is, is, you know, it would be great to, and you start filling in the blank. 
It would be, be great to have this. Someday I hope we can do this. Someday I hope this is said of me. And you know what's cool? Is, is, as much as, like, like, as you put down that list, as you write down your, what greatness would look like for you, it's not like Jesus comes in and then he just rips it up and says, now follow, you know, come over here. I'll show you what it is. Grab a shovel while you're at it. You know, like, it's, it's, it's not that. Like, Jesus, when we invite him into that conversation of, Lord, I want my life to be great like, your, like, like you define greatness. It's he takes that list and he redeems it. These desires for, for, for us to be self-sufficient someday financially, they're not, they're not bad desires. I think they're God-given desires. Like, and so we can give, like, I want to be able to say, Lord, I, I, I don't have to work. I don't need money. Christy and I don't need money. What do you want us to do for you? How can we go serve other people? And he'll let you, he'll start to speak through your list. But what does greatness look like for you? And be honest. I, I think this would be great. And see what the Lord does. And I want you to answer the question. This, answer this question after you've written down all the greatness. If all of your dreams came true, who would think it great besides you? If all of your dreams come true, your dreams for retirement, your dreams for, for health, your dreams for your children, who would think it's great besides you? And if you have a hard time answering that, like, I don't know, it might just be me. Jesus might say, you know what, you might be, not be as de destined for as great of a life as you think you might be. Follow me. Let me show you what greatness is. Let's pray.